Welcome to It's Not That Deep with me, Lucy Woods, a mindfulness teacher, and me, Adrienne Kirk, a psychotherapist. Every episode, we discuss navigating the messiness of everyday life. We know it's a big subject, but we will do our best to discuss it lightly and make some sense of it all. This episode, we're talking about why we don't trust our instincts. I think this came up, didn't it, in a previous podcast? It did. And it was right at the end, and we were like, oh, this will make another really interesting one. And it's probably one that I find a bit sticky because I don't understand the science behind it, because there isn't a huge amount of understanding of what this sort of gut instinct mm-hmm. and intuition. You know, we haven't got a good handle on being able to specifically identify that as an aspect of human behaviour. But we know it exists, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and there is stuff that's coming out. Um, so there's a lot of work around the vagus nerve, which is a nerve that links our brains and our stomachs, and that idea that our that our stomachs are a second brain. Yeah. And we know a lot of the hormones that are part of our feelings um, are released in and around our abdomens. Um, yeah. So we so we have a sense that 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 there's something there, but I think you're right. I think that science is is it's at new. the be- yeah is at the beginning of really being able to kind of make sense of it. And and I'm sure you experience this as well. I certainly get lots of uh, when we're talking about where people feel emotions in the body. So much of that is felt in the stomach, isn't it? We think, I mean, we know some of it is let's say anxiety, is actual blood flow kind of leaving the stomach because digestion shuts down. But the tightness, the tension around the gut, you know, it's all kind of linked, isn't it, when we have um, particularly difficult emotions. We often feel them in the, the stomach-gut area. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually what, what I see a lot in my consulting room is people who... Who, who really struggle to identify their feelings. And we'd, so I do a lot of work around where do they feel things. And often they're kind of shut off from that. So it's a, it's a learning, a relearning how to do that. Yeah, I think that's really the, the important thing here is about the fact that we trust our brains, yeah. our thinking, our cognitive processing kind of more than we do this instinctive stuff um, because often of the way we've been conditioned, mm-hmm. whether it's by caregivers or the schooling system or just by society and the way that we are as human beings nowadays, we're much more cognitive thinking beings and processing beings. And I think that shows up in all sorts of areas, right? That we come up with these protocols and ways of doing things that are uh applicable and generalizable and reproducible and uh and you can lose that kind of gut feeling about a situation or a person or a problem um because you're trying to work through a an, a series of steps or orders and what's really interesting about what you're just saying and it was just occurring to me is that we often talk about this wonderful, logical, rational brain mm. being kind of almost superior to the instinctive, you know, stuff that gets us into trouble, uh, reactive, um, primitive stuff. Yeah. But this is an example where that logic, where rational thinking overrides primitive brain, 
but sometimes to the detriment. Yeah. And I was just thinking about, I do, used to do a lot of interviewing. And here you've got this wonderful CV and this bit of paper with all the, the details of someone's job history. You've got them saying the things that you want to hear. But in me would fire, mm, there's something I'm unsure about. I'm getting a vibe. I'm getting an instinct. And for my first years of interviewing, I completely ignored the vibe because it was a vibe. That wasn't logical. That wasn't rational to do that. So I would employ them because everything they said and what was down on paper, every single time I'd had a funny vibe, I was proved right. So I started to actually take my gut into consideration and I would not necessarily make the decision based on that, but say to the next second interviews or, or, or get someone else to then interview, look out for this and ask some questions around that because that's what I'm getting a sense of mm. and that for me worked better yeah and and so we come back to this idea that it's not an either or right it's a, it's a it's a combination of these things and I think that's really important you know that 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 we don't we don't just go with a with a gut instinct if you're employing someone because you kind of need them to be able to do the job as well right um but 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 you don't just go with with the cv and do they do they tick the boxes do they go do you know is my checklist full Mm -hmm. happy days that's that's not the only thing you need and it can't be can it because we know we have unconscious biases as well and they must play a big part in in things and which is why no one should ever kind of be interviewed by one person and get a job for for that for your own sake because we just don't know what that that person's unconscious thinking is no absolutely and then and you know we know that you you just then end up with 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 teams of people who are all alike yes (laughs) exactly and that's and that's problematic as well yeah (laughs) um but i think interviewing is one example Mm. of, of when that we're in that tension between cognitive and gut but we do it with people we meet, yeah. relationships we have. I know with friends, par- new partners, meeting them and getting a sense of, oh, I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's something about you I don't like. Yeah. And then thinking, no, got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yes, if my friend likes them, there must be something. Yeah, and I've got to try at least. I've yeah. got to try and find something that proves me wrong. I like being proved wrong. I certainly interviewed people where I thought, really? And, you know, actually, by the end of it, they'd com- I'd, I'd made a first impression, for example. My gut had said, not a million years. By the end of the interview, I thought, I'd like you on my mm. team. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting, isn't it? Because that's different sorts of gut. So a first impression... It's visual. It's visual, yeah. and there's something about the way they move or whatever it is, yeah. right? Rather than a gut feeling about the person. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to know how we know. Yeah. But you see, we do have this instinct, don't we? I, I, I'm imagining every, any number of listeners have been in situations where you've walked in a room, you haven't heard a word, but you can sense an atmosphere. Yeah. Or you look at a couple across the other side of a restaurant or pub and think, they're having a row. And I know some of that's in body language, but being around people, mm. we can kind of pick up stuff. And we know about mirror neurons. Yeah. There's some science to pull on. We know that if someone is a certain way, we often 
can pick up on on that and replicate it sometimes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So mirror neurons are, are what drive our empathy mm-hmm. um, and our ability to. It's what makes us yawn if someone else yawns. So it's about it's about um, uh, being being connected, being in connection with someone else. Yeah, yeah. and so maybe there's some cognitive dissonance or whatever. Mm. It's not cognitive because it's gut instinct. But you know, like when we meet someone who there isn't a connection with. Yeah. Um, and of course, we don't know whether our gut is right or wrong. And logic and rational thinking and what's written on paper, that seems to us as modern day humans to be much more trustworthy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, I think and, right. And yet it isn't always. Not always. However, you know, there are, there are also lots of us who, for whatever reason, have have either lost the ability to trust our guts mm. or, or are using different parameters, right? So, so for instance, if, if as a child you had an alcoholic parent, mm-hmm. okay, so what you're listening out for is the rattle of the drawer or the way in which a door is closed or an expression on a face that tells you whether it's safe, Right, so what you can do or say, or how you need to handle yourself in a situation, right? So when you grow up, your gut is focused, your attention is focused on other people and managing their moods mm. f- from a safety perspective, and what 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 you're less able, un- unable, Gabo Mate would say, to do is to tune into how you feel about people yeah. and in it in many cases it's it was it wasn't about your own emotion no. or, or the driving force primitive incident was i've got to keep safe yeah so cameras out kind of looking at what's going on surveying that danger assessment kind of thing to work out what's going to keep me safe yeah and and i know um from someone i know quite well their uh, home life meant that they were in, their emotions were completely invalidated in fact showing emotion was dangerous mm. because if you were sad you got a beating or if you were angry you know you got a beating or you got some other form of punishment humiliated yes um, and so to show and express any kind of emotion became a really negative thing so of course you try and shut down and disconnect completely yeah. and the brain and logic becomes the the driving force and the the body is something that's responding wrongly because emotion is bad yeah and that leads to real confusion i've lots and lots of clients who are in that sort of situation that that either it's been dangerous to express their emotions or it's been intolerable so they've been put aside you know shut in a room with the door closed until they calm down, you know. So that that idea that negative emotions and and I would and I never talk about negative and positive emotions with clients. Try and think about them as being pleasant and unpleasant, yeah. but unpleasant emotions are not negative. They're not wrong. They're still there for it's, a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. Emotions are data, right? Yeah. They tell us something about our internal state yeah. and the way in which we're engaging with our world right now. So it's quite difficult, isn't it, for someone that's not been engaged with their emotions or seen 
negative emotions as a bad thing yeah. to suddenly say it's okay to feel them and in fact not only do you want to feel them you want to listen to them because they're telling you something yeah and be able to identify them yeah. and lots of people can't identify them because if you've never if you've been never allowed. been taught how to do that right so lots, lots of our listeners will be parents and have spent years kind of saying, oh, you're sad because this happened to a baby. Oh, you're hungry. Let me feed you. Right. You name the emotion and you offer the solution, offer the way of coping with it. Mm-hmm. And what that says is this is tolerable. You will get this. This too will pass. Yes. But if you haven't had that, then you can't name those emotions. And so there's just this this mess of confusion, confusion. Right. Um which which you then try and kind of control with your logical brain mm-hmm. which means that you kind of you're kind of cut off then so your your head your your brain becomes the the good part of you and the body is just the thing that carries that yeah. carries you around yeah <laughs> and not to be taken into account it's just a vehicle it's just a vehicle a ruby wax i think i've said before described it as her, her body was a shopping trolley oh. carrying around her head. That's what, you know, it, was, it literally yes. was just a, love that a, a vehicle. Yeah. And so what is interesting is how much time we try and reason with our emotions mm. using the rational, logical mind. And I feel personally and with what I know about why we come out of the head so much with mindfulness practice is that we get completely stuck in yes. the head sometimes trying to work out the answer to something. So we've got a problem, and it's almost like in cartoons, you've got one voice going, you know, good angel, bad angel, or whatever it might be, polar arguments, and they might both have a point, and then we get stuck, like, oh, you shouldn't really do that, oh, but, 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 yes, and, you know, it goes on. People can't see me making little <laughs> glove puppet signs with and, my hands. And I think the thing with that is it's also, it's not even as straightforward as as, as good versus bad, but no. we're made up of parts, yeah. right? So... They might and, both have a reason and, and any number absolutely yeah. and any number of those parts might pop up. So there's, there's so now there's this this cacophony of noise, yeah. right? So I should do this or I shouldn't do that, and they, but so and so says yeah, and, and but you know, and then your inner critic comes in, and then and then your and you know your 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 inner child wants soothing, and and your you know your critical parent is there, and you know, so all of these all of these voices all pitching Why can't in. I make a decision? Yeah. <laughs> and it's all the limiting beliefs. This is typical of me. I'm rubbish at life. <laughs> Gosh. And then we get stuck yes. right up in our head. And that's all thinking and nothing instinctive at all. And I think it, it really does give credence and importance to why we should listen to our bodies. Yeah. Why we should bo- learn to listen and to learn our bodies. To, yes. Yeah. Because, like you say, yeah. I mean... It's taken a lot of work, mm. right? It's taken for years both, for and both years of, of practice. Mm. And it, but realising that the body is this incredible barometer for what's going on. And I think, again, people listening might get that sense that you don't just think, I'm happy. You know, it's a feeling. Yeah. And even if perhaps you don't know what that feels like, there is a way of kind of connecting back again. So if, if you're someone that is quite disconnected from it, and then I think most people could name if I, they are angry, for example, physical 
symptoms that show up when they're angry. My jaw gets tense, my fists clench, I get a gut churning. That, that's sort of easier to describe than some of the nuanced stuff in between Absolutely. happy and angry. Yeah, yeah, I remember when I, when I first started out asking a client how she knew she was happy, it took her ages to think of something and they said, oh, I dance around the kitchen. Okay, cool, so let's go with how that feels, you know, as a, a, as a descriptor of happiness. Yeah, and that, that, inner that, dance. Yeah, it? absolutely. And that's just what you're talking about, right? To Can we drop into the body and feel what's there and then use that to help us label? Yeah. Lots of clients can do frustration, but then that becomes kind of their go-to. You know, that's what they will use to describe anything that's unpleasant. Mm. Um, and like you say, it's the nuance. It's the being able to tease out. I'd, I'd like to say that frustration is probably more born out of the fact that they don't know. Yeah. You know, and that it's not actually the emotion is frustration, but there's the frustration that they're not understanding. Could I be as bold as to, to yeah. surmise that? But I think there is something in that. There absolutely is. Because when we can't quite get a grip on why we're feeling like we're feeling... That in itself is frustrating. Yeah. It's like meta-frustration. <laughs> and and yeah, absolutely. And then, then that's how they experience their world. Everything is frustrating, yeah. you know, unless they are at ease. And then when you explore that, you know, that tends to be really controlled and singular and, you know, or with one other person or outside, but 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 a really small, safe yeah. place, right? And everything else is frustration and you're right that's about not being able to understand to connect with with what's going on yeah so in in terms of kind of steps i mm. suppose so those people that perhaps listening that do recognize the emotions showing up in the body then we're, we're kind of one stage in yeah and those that are not that connected that's the first stage isn't it how might we start to practice learning to listen to the body and come out of the head Obviously, meditation is a, a fantastic way of doing that. Any of these somatic practices, breathing into, kind of coming out of thinking and doing and planning and into being present with your experience right now. Yeah. It's kind of stage one, isn't it? Yeah, that noticing yeah. Um, and then uh, then being able to name those things is, yeah. is the first thing I do with clients who can't. Yeah, and then easily. around the gut thing... Mm. Um, is it just me, and because I'm a mindfulness teacher, or do you remember people saying, I need to go and meditate on that or something, as a sort of jokey thing, like way back? Yeah. I'm thinking yes. like 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. like people pacing or something. It was like a, I, I need to meditate on it, as a kind of pun. Um, but actually, when we put ourselves in a meditative state, like coming out the head and just breathing, we find spaciousness in the present moment yeah. to drop in questions. And, and you'll know from, from your own um, practice that we can sort of drop in a question without going cognitively hunting for the answer. Yes. And we get some info back. So we might even say to ourselves in a, a practice around kindness or something, what do I need right now? Yeah. And it's not that we need to go, now. do I need a massage or a hot bath or whatever? But there's a sense of, I just need to take care of myself. I just need some sleep. I mean, it could be as yeah. simple as that. I'm really thirsty and I hadn't even clocked. But uh, providing ourselves that spaciousness to listen to that other voice. Is this sounding a bit woo-woo for people, do you think? I don't know. I mean, it, not to us. Mm. Um, 
so let's hope not but yeah. but but i think you know whatever the language that you're comfortable with i i that that sense of stopping trying to fix and just breathing and feeling yeah. is really important and it's the mind's job that does all the time to problem solve and to yeah. work out the answers and sometimes there aren't exact answers no. and trying to fix and change what can't be fixed or changed is what keeps us stuck so actually just saying to the brain for a moment we don't need you right now you know we don't need this brilliant problem solving that you're good at we just need to sit in the the spaciousness of 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 coming out of the head yeah uh, it's and, a peaceful place of coming out of thinking and doing and planning. Absolutely, and that doesn't mean that we stop thinking. It just means that we don't hang on to those thoughts. We just notice them, them there and let them go, right? We, and we start feeling. Uh, yes. And yeah. sensing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sorry. I was just going to say, it's what's here right now. It's what's real. Whereas the mind takes us to all sorts of places that aren't here right now. Yes, absolutely. So stepping away from that storytelling and that catastrophizing and that what ifing that we do and that if only I hadn't. Mm. The shoulda, coulda, woulda. Absolutely. And the what ifs, the maybes. Yes. It's the, the past time travel and the forward time travel. Yeah. It just stitches us right up. It really it? does. <laughs> and 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 you know and, and and we spend our lives saying we can't we can't change what's happened. We're here now so let's work on that let's work with that not on it with it yeah yeah and so i think we've covered a whole host of stuff there haven't we but i think the real takeaway is just knowing how important the body is in this whole process that treat we talked about treating the bodily medicine or whatever separately from kind of uh, psychotherapeutic medicine um and Medicine's not the word I'm looking for, is it? You know, but treating the two separately and really understanding that this is one system and we need to reconnect them where they may have got disconnected somehow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 learning to to trust ourselves and and that often means, like you say, sitting with and really feeling into what we need. Mm. And then our brains can help with that, right? Mm. But that's about staying in the present rather than going, oh, I should have, you know, yeah. And and I just wanted to add that last point that you spoke about um, with it's not gut or brain. Yeah. It's both. Yeah. It's, It's taking all of the data. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah, away from the either or. Exactly. Messy middle. <laughs> you know, I love my messy middle. It might be less messy if we do this, though, right? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Thanks, Adrienne. Thank you. You've been listening to It's Not That Deep with Adrienne Kirk and Lucy Woods. If you've enjoyed listening, then why not subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any future episodes?